Good morning. Reading from the NIV this morning, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am need for in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even then, when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will be with your spirit. Amen. The word. Good morning. Thank you, Jim, for reading our scripture. And so kids preschool through sixth grade can be dismissed now to the meadow. And the rest of us, if you have that passage open before you, that would be excellent. Philippians chapter 4, as we conclude our study through Philippians this morning. But what is the secret of contentment? It's one of those questions that people have been asking as long as we've been asking questions, really. We've always sought after a true, a lasting contentment. It's no secret that in our modern age, there's been all sorts of studies done that We're richer, really, than ever before in human history, yet often more miserable. If we want to find contentment in life, we know it's an uphill battle. In our culture, we're constantly tempted to compare ourselves with others on social media. We're constantly being bombarded by advertisements seeking to make us dissatisfied with what we already have, so we'll buy the next new thing. There are obstacles to contentment all around us, but some think it's even a waste of time to look for it at all. I read an article this week that argued we're not even designed to be content. We're only designed to survive and reproduce like any other creature in the natural world, they wrote. So if you're unhappy, get over it. That's a nice message, right? Really, really encouraging. Get over it. You're just an animal trying to survive, okay? 
But we know that that's not the full truth, is it? We know that human beings are made in God's image. We're hardwired for more than just survival. And so despite all that's working against us to find contentment, we keep searching, don't we? Maybe some of us turn to self-help books, the latest fads, or maybe most of all, a change in circumstances. We say, I'll be content when you fill in the blank. It's human nature to think the grass is always greener on the other side, isn't it? So is there really any hope for us of finding true and lasting contentment? Well, it may not surprise you that Scripture says in the passage we just heard, Scripture says contentment's not only possible, but it's available to every believer in Christ. In fact, in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul has the audacity to claim that he has learned the secret of contentment. We come to the end of our study in Philippians. If you've been tracking with us, we've been seeing each week what it looks like for a citizen of heaven to live as a citizen of heaven here and now. I don't know about you, but this study has been deeply impactful to me personally. As we've seen each week, Paul unfold this example as he's living out for us what a mature Christian looks like. And he closes this letter with some powerful teaching on contentment, something we all desire, and yet something that seems so hard for us really to grasp. So we'll see in these verses that to step further into spiritual maturity, we too need to learn the secret of contentment. But let's pray together as we turn to God's Word. Well, our Father, we just sang that your grace is enough, and so I pray that as a result of our time in your Word this morning, we would be able to say those words with even more truth, that in the deepest place of our heart, we would believe that truth, we would live that truth, and that we would find a growing contentment as we worship and serve together as a church. And so bless us now in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So look at Philippians 4 and verse 10, if you have that in front of you. Philippians 4, verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul says, I've rejoiced greatly. He's talked a lot in this letter, if you've been tracking with us. He's talked a lot in Philippians about joy, hasn't he? In this final section, he tells the church at Philippi, I have a lot of joy because you've cared for me. The rest of this passage gives us some more context. They've sent Paul a financial gift through Epaphroditus, who delivered it. We heard a little bit about him in chapter 2. This would be most welcome while Paul's in prison, remember. He's relying on others for his resources. And so the opportunity comes, and this church sends probably a substantial gift. Why would you send a real small gift and uh, go through all that trouble to send a messenger? So it's probably substantial a great blessing to the Apostle Paul. So he's expressing his thanks, first of all, his gratefulness to them for their gift. But like Paul, he rarely lets an opportunity go without using it to teach a spiritual truth, right? So look at verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul's not minimizing his gratefulness. He's not shifting here 
but he wants to make sure they don't misunderstand something really, really important, so much so that he repeats himself again later in verse 17 when he says, not that I seek the gift. What does he mean? He wanted them to know that he was very grateful for their gift, and yet his joy, his contentment wasn't dependent on their gift. He wasn't complaining to God about his needs or his circumstances before they sent the gift. He was content before the gift. He's content with the gift. His joy is not dependent on their gift or his own comfort. Rather, no, he says, listen in church. I have one more thing I want to share with you of utmost importance, something I've learned in my walk with Christ, and I want you to know it too. He says in verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. To be content is to be satisfied in life. Just to have a deep, steady satisfaction regardless of what's happening around you. Regardless of circumstances. What does Paul say? In whatever situation. Contentment doesn't come naturally. Did you know that? You probably experienced that in your own life. It has to be learned. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. Just scan through these verses. Look for these keywords. I have learned, Paul says. I know. I know. I have learned. You see that repetition. With Paul, there's no such thing as head knowledge that doesn't translate into life, into living. People say sometimes that, don't give me theology, just give me something practical that I can use. If our theology is not impacting our life, we have bad theology. It's just as simple as that. Or we don't know how to live it. That's not so here with Paul. Remember, he has told us earlier in this letter to imitate him to imitate him. He hasn't yet arrived. Even Paul hasn't yet arrived spiritually, but he's a little bit ahead of us on the journey. And he says, imitate me, do what I do. This is what spiritual maturity looks like. And as we talked about some weeks ago, when we focused on joy, we said that spiritual maturity can be measured by what it takes to steal your joy. And in this text this morning, we can build on that and say also, that maturity can be measured, spiritual maturity can be measured by how easily we lose our contentment. Maybe that statement hits you between the eyes like it does to me. That's okay. It's not to shame us, but this text is trying to show us the way. The joy and contentment go together. Contentment must be learned. It's not our default. Like the world, we often base our happiness on our circumstances. I'll be content when... I get that new job, when I get that promotion, when I get married, when I graduate, whatever it is. But the problem is that's always a sliding scale, right? We achieve whatever it was that we were focused on. Life gets a little bit better. Our circumstances improve. Praise God. That's wonderful. And yet, then we start looking at the next thing. It's a constantly sliding scale that makes us discontent right now. So ask yourself right now in this moment, what is my level of contentment? If you had to give a number to it, think that in your mind right now, one through 10. What's my level of contentment right now? What am I waiting on to make that number higher? Contentment is such an important mark of spiritual maturity because it reveals so much about the heart. We can profess Christ with our lips all day long, but our lack of contentment reveals where our treasure is. Our discontentment reveals how we so often settle for the world's desires, how we subscribe to the world's value systems, comparison, materialism, political power, 
status, pleasure. Listen to the way the author of Ecclesiastes reflects on his life and the emptiness of chasing happiness the world's way in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Look at this text. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. If Paul's words show us the way to go here, these words show us the way not to go. In big, bold letters, right, there's a warning sign, turn back. Don't go this way. This is a lesson we all need to hear. Maybe this one, this part of it, particularly for the young. Don't waste your life chasing after happiness the world's way. Don't get to the end of your life like the author of Ecclesiastes and look back with regret that all you've been chasing is wind. Don't look back and all the years wasted chasing after the world's idea of contentment that's always around just the next corner. It's always just ahead and yet never comes. But all of us at any age, at any stage of life, any stage of our spiritual maturity, we need to remember constantly to stop looking at our circumstances to try to find contentment. Because Paul says we can be content, what? In any and every circumstance, plenty or hunger, abundance or need. He says, I have learned the secret. There's a lot of people today claiming to have the secret about stuff, to getting rich, getting people to like you, losing weight. Whenever you hear somebody say, I have the secret, you should probably turn and run, right? Why? Because what they mean by secret is I have a quick fix, something too good to be true. I'm going to change your life for just three easy payments, right? It's not at all what Paul means here. I have learned the secret. That whole phrase is actually one word in Greek. And this word is used only here in the entire New Testament. This word was used in initiation rites in pagan cults. Someone would go through some difficult, even painful initiation process in some cult. So then then they could say, I know the secret. I have the insider knowledge. Some spiritual mystery that nobody else knows, I know it. Because they went through the initiation. See, Paul sometimes borrows words from the surrounding culture and sort of repurposes them for Christian theology, for Christian living. No, there's not some mysterious ritual that we go through as Christians that bestows contentment on us. Wouldn't that be nice? But there is an initiation. Our initiation into contentment is the school of life, isn't it? It's the school of our circumstances, our trials even. There's no quick fix. There's no shortcut. Think of all Paul suffered. Remember, he's writing this, these words from prison. We can't remind ourselves of that truth enough. He's writing all of this from prison. How can we, be learn, how can we learn to be brought low? How can we learn to be hungry well if we're never hungry, if we never suffer? And so we can't focus on our circumstances because if we only try to escape the trial, we'll never learn the lesson that God intended while we're in the middle of it. 
And we also need to learn how to abound well, something we easily forget. We need to learn how to be in plenty and do that well just as much as we need to learn how to suffer well. See, a citizen of heaven faces both extremes differently than the world. Contentment's maintaining our faith. Contentment is maintaining our joy, our dependence in both extremes. Whatever circumstance, life goes up and down all around us, and yet we don't. We're steadily following Christ. We're steadily content. Well, Paul, how do we do this? I mean, we've all had our share of ups and downs, haven't we? But even then, it doesn't come automatically. What's the secret? Look at verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is one of the most famous, one of the most well-known verses in all the Bible. Most of us have it memorized. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and make a really bold guess that most of us don't also have verses 11 and 12 memorized. Is that fair? And that's okay, because verse 13 is great. But verse 13 is the kind of verse that can very easily be misunderstood on its own. It's one of those verses that shouldn't be left out by itself, okay? And one of the most important principles of interpreting the Bible is context. Context. When we lift a verse from its context, the verses around it, we're in great danger of misusing it. We don't want to misuse the Bible. We don't want to mishandle God's Word. But this verse is everywhere. This verse is on bumper stickers. It's on bracelets. Christian athletes parade this verse before a big game. In other words, to mean, I can win this football game with the strength of Christ. It's applied to any personal ambition or goal. Hey, you got a chemistry test coming up? You didn't study? That's fine. You can do all things in Christ. You're last in line for that promotion you've been wanting at work? No problem. You can do all things in Christ, right? If only I was exaggerating, but I'm not. This is from a devotional by one of the most popular preachers in the world on this verse. Here's what they say. Most people magnify their limitations. They focus on their shortcomings, but Scripture makes it plain. All things are possible to those who believe. That's right. It's possible to see your dreams fulfilled. It's possible to overcome that obstacle. It's possible to climb to new heights, to embrace your destiny. You may not know how it will all take place. You may not have a plan, but all you have to know is that if God said you can, you can. Woo! That'll preach, right? It's exciting stuff. That message is why Philippians 4.13 is so popular. Trouble is, it's not what Paul meant. We need to be very careful making Scripture say whatever we want it to say, and it's way too easy when we pull a verse out of its context. The irony here is the whole point of this passage is about enduring circumstances, not escaping them. The whole popular notion of verse 13 is not just a misunderstanding, it's the exact opposite of what Paul meant. Paul's in prison. Why didn't he just break his chains in the strength of Christ? Why didn't he just bend the bars? I can do all things, right? Take that, Caesar. That would have been quite a message. But the real meaning of this verse isn't so appealing to our flesh, is it? I mean, I'd much prefer the bumper sticker over the painful path of learning contentment. How about you? So the question is not, do you have enough faith to overcome that obstacle? But it's, do you have the faith to suffer with Christ in the midst of it? 
Do you have the faith even to see your own plans crumble under God's greater purpose for your life? So it might be better for an athlete to claim this verse after a loss to remind themselves what matters. I've learned the secret of both winning and losing, right? I can do all things through Christ. You see the difference? Here's a few other translations of this verse that are helpful. I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. Christ gives me strength to face anything. Christ is the one who gives me the strength I need to do whatever I must do. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. There's another word in this passage that's used only one time in the whole New Testament. And it's back in verse 11. It's the word content. It's the word for content here. This word for content was a moral term used by the Stoics. To Stoic philosophers, contentment was all about self-sufficiency, right? I'm detached from my circumstances. I can be content because I have all I need in and of myself. So here again, Paul pulls a word from the culture, and he flips it on its head. See, to the Christian, contentment is not seeing yourself as sufficient. It's seeing Christ as sufficient. This isn't, you can do it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Name it and claim it. No, not at all. This is Christ is sufficient. His strength in you is sufficient. To live is Christ and to die is gain because his grace is sufficient. So if you're here in this room or you're joining us online and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe you've been looking for contentment in the world's way, chasing after it, and it never really comes. Maybe you've even written it off as impossible, but deep down, there's a desire in your heart for more that points you to the God who created you, the God who alone can fulfill that longing. And so the first step to finding true contentment in your life, if you don't know Christ, is to put your faith in him, to begin that relationship that you were created for. As St. Augustine famously prayed, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. So if you don't know Christ, the invitation for you from this text is to find rest in him this morning. And Christian, the invitation for us also is to stop searching for contentment the world's way. It's a constant temptation to fall back into that. And we need to draw more deeply from the provision of Christ, the strength of Christ, the one who strengthens us. We can only learn contentment by his strength. We all want it, but are we really willing to give up the idols that we run to instead? Is Christ our sustenance? Is he our joy? Is he our strength? If you have Philippians 4.13 memorized, awesome. Keep quoting it, but let's, let's reclaim Paul's meaning. So let's quote this verse to ourselves often as a prayer to learn contentment even and especially when it's painful, when it's hard to learn contentment in any circumstance. I want us to look real quickly at the rest of this passage as Paul concludes his letter and draw out just a few principles that we can start applying right now to our lives to help us grow in contentment, to take a few steps. We can't go into depth on these, so I encourage you, if you take notes, you might want to jot these down to come back to later to reflect on and to study more of this passage. 
But I want to mention first three sins to avoid. These sins are roadblocks to contentment. There are three C's. Here they are. Complaining, comparing, coveting. Complaining, comparing, coveting. We all do these from time to time, but if one or more of these stands out to you to say, you know what, this one's a habit in my life, take note of that. Take note of that. Because if one or more of these is a habit in your life, you're really not going to be able to grow in contentment. These three, and there are more, but these three in particular are significant roadblocks to contentment. Take some time this week and pray about it. Would you share that struggle with a spiritual friend or your connection group even this week and ask for prayer? Let's pray for one another about our struggles with these three so we can find freedom to grow in contentment. So now let's look at the rest of the passage with these in mind. And note three imperatives, three commands that Paul gives us, really from the example of Paul in the Philippian church. These just sort of flow out naturally from their, from their interchange. So we obey these commands only in the strength of Christ. But look at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia... No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So our first imperative is to give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. This church, as we know, helped bear Paul's burdens. They gave significantly to help support him. If you want to learn contentment, a great place to start is to start giving sacrificially. We know giving is a spiritual discipline. It helps align our priorities with the kingdom. The New Testament doesn't give us a set amount, but to give joyfully and to give sacrificially. So increase your giving. If you're struggling with contentment, try to increase your giving until you can feel it, until you can notice it. Give sacrificially. The second imperative here is to receive gratefully. Receive gratefully. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. See, we need to learn to both give and receive well. Some of us are great givers, and we're not so good receivers. See, receiving takes humility. To receive well, we need to acknowledge our need and to be grateful. Content people are grateful people. You just can't separate those two. There's all sorts of modern research now, if you've seen any of these studies, that are confirming really what the Bible has said all along about the the importance of gratefulness and even its connection to contentment. One recent study involved three groups. So they broke people up into three groups. They said, group number one, I want you every day at the end of the day, to write down five ongoing complaints that you have in your life. Does anybody do that? I'm just curious. Every day you write down all of your complaints. Don't try that. Don't do that. Group number two, they said, we want you every single day, write down five ways that you think you're better off or superior to your peers. Isn't that great? I'm going to sign up for this study. And by the way, those first, that's two of our two C's right there, isn't it? Complaining, comparing. 
Group number three, they said, we want you to write down five things every day that you're grateful for. Now, participants, this probably won't surprise you, but participants who kept gratitude lists reported having greater energy, greater overall feelings of well-being, and even fewer health complaints, which is incredible, than those who focused on their problems, their complaints, and all the ways they compared themselves to other people. It's incredible. But content people are grateful people. And so we need to make gratefulness a habit, especially if you struggle with these C's. Make gratefulness a habit. Make it a spiritual practice. List all the things you're grateful for. Maybe when you're tempted to complain about something, pick three things right then in that moment to thank God for, that you're grateful for. Helen Keller was famously both blind and deaf from a young age, and she was able to say this, everything has its wonders, even darkness and silence. Whatever state I may be in, therein to be content. Whatever God gives us, we need to learn to receive it gratefully. And then third, trust completely. Trust completely. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So part of contentment is just knowing God is in control. He's got it. No matter how hard things get to know that our loving Father loves us. He's not holding out on us. He gives us everything we need, and this truth is powerful. This truth can lead to greater dependence and can lead to a growing contentment. Our family likes to go on hikes quite a bit. We love to be out in nature together. We love to explore. Recently, we heard about a new spot. It involved a stream that we could wade and walk in and just sort of explore around. Sounded like fun. So sometime last week, we were feeling like we wanted to get out of the house together. We wanted to uh, go on a hike. So we decided to give this spot a try. Trouble is, as you know, if you live in the area, it rained every single day that whole week. We wondered just maybe the water level might be too high. Okay, We were suspicious. Maybe it's too high. But we thought, you know what, we'll, we'll probably be able to walk along the edge and maybe just we'll just see it. We'll just check it out and see. So everybody got ready to go, which for a family of five, you know, that's no small task in and of itself. Just to, just to get ready and to get in the car is a big deal. It's a big accomplishment. So we were proud of ourselves. We got in the car. We packed a change of clothes. We packed bug spray, snacks. We hit the road. It was a good, good drive as well. And sure enough, it started raining again halfway there. We, we asked ourselves, should we turn around? Should we turn around? Is this crazy? We thought, you know what? We're, we're driving. We're together. Let's just check it out. Let's just check it out. Maybe we'll be able to walk a little bit there and just, just see how it is. So we finally get there. We park along the side of the road. The stream was under an overpass. So it's literally just right there. We get out. It's muddy. But we sort of trek together, holding hands, trying not to slip in the mud. And it still took us probably 30 seconds to walk from the car down to the stream, and we heard it before we got there. Before we saw it, we heard it. The stream was not a stream anymore. It was a raging river, like the whitewater rapids kind, okay? The kind you need like a helmet, and you still might die. (laughs) That kind of water. (laughs) There was nowhere we could walk. We couldn't have even put our foot in. We might get swept away. It was that kind of, that kind of, that kind of river, So we were back in the car in about two minutes. 
from the time we left the car to the time we got back in the car, maybe two minutes, if I'm being generous. So we sit there in the front seat trying to plan out a plan B activity because we're all the way out there. We got ready. Let's try to figure something out. And Olive, our youngest, she's five. And in the back seat, she just kind of quietly says, that hike was a little shorter than I expected it to be. All that getting ready, all that planning, all that preparing, maybe a one and a half to two minute hike. Yeah, we're done. We've had it. I love her mentality. Part of it comes, I think, with being the youngest, if you've experienced this in your family. But it's kind of like she's just along for the ride. She's just along for the ride. She trusts mom and dad, usually. She trusts mom and dad. The hike isn't at all what she expected it to be, but she's like, huh, that wasn't quite what I expected. That's okay. She's got everything she needs. She's with the family. We're good. And we laughed about that when she, when she first said it. But I started thinking about that later. I said, you know, I said to myself, that's a lesson on contentment that I need to learn. If only I had that attitude with God as she has with her parents. Just to trust God. Just simple trust. Childlike trust. That God is in control. That he's always working for his glory and for my good to really believe that and for that to translate into my attitude, that he'll provide everything I really need. See, as citizens of heaven, as citizens of his kingdom, this isn't about us. Did you know that? It's not about us. We're just along for the ride, but he's with us. The author of Hebrews writes, Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So let's hang on to that truth. That's the truth to name and claim, that he is with us. No matter what happens to us in this life or in death, we have Christ. His grace is enough. So look finally at Paul's closing words, the last few verses of this epistle. Verse 20, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Writing from prison, he's chained to guards. Seeing the gospel spread anyway, he's rejoicing. He's content. This is true contentment. It's not only possible, but it's available to every citizen of heaven. We can face any situation. We can face any circumstance with the strength of Christ. That right there is the secret. That's the secret Paul learned and that he wants us to know too. It's a lesson we probably need to keep learning. It's a lesson we need to keep growing into in the grace of Christ. Would you bow with me in prayer? I close with a prayer by Kevin Holleran. Oh Lord, you are our shepherd and we should not be in want, but so often we struggle to be content and we do want, forgetting that you have graciously provided us with every spiritual blessing in Christ and everything we need for life and godliness. Thank you, Father, for often not giving us what we want because our desires would draw our heart from being satisfied in you. Help us to be content in you with what you have given us and not to be focused on what our flesh wants or the world tells us we should have. Protect us from coveting possessions or people, talent or influence, relationships or prestige. Keep our hearts from being anxious for what we don't have and make us thankful for the numerous gifts that you have already given. 
according to your word and steadfast love, fill us with the joy and satisfaction of true contentment in Christ. Help us learn to be content in any situation like Paul and to quickly reject the idolatry that dwells beneath the surface of our coveting and our complaining and our comparing. We ask you to continually bring to mind your faithful provision for all of our needs that Christ died for the sins of coveting, complaining, and comparing. That in Christ we're free to be content and to live righteously and that godliness with contentment is greater gain than pleasing our flesh. May we be humbled and changed by the ultimate example of contentment, of Christ becoming poor in order that we could become rich, being content to go to the cross to fulfill the Father's will, to rescue a people for himself who can be free from discontent and zealous for good works. Amen. Let us stand together.